thanks for checking out this message from Springmount Church. For more information about us and what we do, visit our website, springmount.church. Why not check out all the different groups that run throughout each week in Barrow and on Walney? And join us every Sunday from 11am at Salt House Pavilion in Barrow Infernos. If you would like us as a church to pray for you, please email prayer at springmount.church or sign up on our website for monthly news straight to your inbox. Well, morning everyone. It's, uh, as always, it's really lovely to be with you. Uh, as you've already been told, my name's Phil, Phil Dixon. Uh, I'm a Baptist pastor in Hartlepool uh, and uh, I... Uh, I'm from Barrow. In fact, I'm from this church in uh, former sort of manifestations <laughs> over many years. But, uh, and it is always a real privilege to be with you. Um, I've been asked to speak on the letter of Philemon. Hands up if you've heard a sermon on Philemon before. <laughs> so not too many of us. Uh, I don't think I've preached one. But uh, in a moment, I'm going to read it. If you've got a Bible, just turn to it. Uh, Philemon, it comes at the end of uh, Titus, after Titus and uh, before Hebrews. Uh, and uh, just for your encouragement, and this is for your encouragement, we, uh, Margaret and I, my wife, uh, arrived at uh, the Premier Inn in Barrow yesterday afternoon, and uh, we were welcomed by Emma. And uh, Emma asked me what I, why I was in Barrow, uh, which seems like a good question. Uh, and uh, I uh, said, well, I'm here to speak in a church tomorrow. And she said, oh, which church is that? And I said, Spring Mount. And she said, oh, that's a really good church, Spring Mount. They've just helped me, helped me uh, get a bed for my daughter. So there you go. And she said that she wanted to um, volunteer in the future. So there you go. Be encouraged. This is uh, the letter of Philemon, uh, or to Philemon, from Paul. So I'm going to read the whole of it. It's 25 verses. So, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in, in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold, and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in change. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel, but I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favour you do would not seem forced but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. 
no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Okay, well, I'm always impressed. You know, Johnny's come a couple of times to Oxford Road and I've watched quite a lot of sermons uh, from Spring Mount over the last couple of years with lockdown and such things. Uh, and I'm always impressed by Johnny's cultural relevance. Uh, you know, all of these references to adverts from the 1970s and um, pop songs from the 1960s uh, and, uh, you know, films and all of those kind of things, you know, Marvel films, those kind of things. I've seen three Marvel films and I just assume that I know the plot for every other one of them now. Um, so um, I'm the opposite of that cultural cool. And my uh, cultural reference when I was reading through the book uh, Philemon was to the sound of music, because that's how cool I am. Um, so, uh, so the thing that came to my mind when I was reading through this was the bit in the sound of music uh, where the nuns are singing about the problem with Maria. How do you solve a problem like Maria? And this is the question that is basically at the heart of the letter of Paul to Philemon, and it is, how do you solve a problem like Onesimus? How do you solve a problem like Onesimus? Because this is a highly personal letter. It's actually unique. It is by far and away the most personal letter, and it's very different in tone from any of the other letters that we read um, uh, of Paul, because it is dealing with a, an actual real-life pastoral situation uh, where uh, he wants to bring reconciliation between two people for, between whom there is an issue. Onesimus, if you don't know, was a runaway slave. Philemon is his owner. And the penalties for a runaway slave could be very severe. Even death by crucifixion was not beyond the bounds of what they could do if they, they caught uh, Onesimus. Uh, Paul was in a difficult situation because it was illegal to harbour a runaway slave. And yet Paul ha has been looking after Onesimus. And both are known to Paul. Philemon, we understand, has become a Christian under Paul's ministry. He's based in Colossae, but probably became a Christian through Paul's ministry in Ephesus. And at some unspecified time, Onesimus has absconded from Philemon's household. He's probably stolen from him. There's a hint at that in verses 18 and 19. And having run away to the nearest big city, which was Ephesus, either by God's providence or by Onesimus' design, he's come into contact with Paul and he's become a Christian. And not only that, but he's also become a really close comrade of Paul. He's worked with Paul. He's met with Paul. He's encouraged Paul. Uh, and Paul has, he talks about him being like a son to him. That's how involved he'd got with Onesimus. 
And so Paul is in this incredibly difficult position because he knows Philemon, uh, he knows Onesimus, and he knows that there's this issue that lies between them, and there's a lot at stake. And so Paul, being Paul, chooses to confront the issue head on. He sends Onesimus back to Philemon, but he intercedes for him um, through this letter. And in it, we see the pastoral heart of Paul. We see his gentleness and we see his... I have no time whatsoever for those people who say, oh, I don't like Paul. I had people like this. I've had people like this in my church who say, don't like Paul. He's this, he's that, he's the other. And he's the... You haven't read him. If you think that, you haven't read him. You haven't understood him. You haven't got to his heart. Because here we see his gentleness. We see his tenderness. We see his desire to bring reconciliation between people who are in conflict. And as I've studied and I've thought about this little letter, and I thank Johnny for asking me to do it, I've been challenged and also convinced that the message of this letter is incredibly important and relevant for us today. Because it's essentially is telling us that relationships matter. They really matter in the church. And we need to guard relationships. And I want to talk about guarding relationships because the letter's about repairing relationships. But if you don't want to get in a situation where you have to repair a relationship, guard them. <laughs> guard your relationships with people. But if you get into a situation where you have to repair a relationship, then this is the part of the New Testament which is probably the most relevant to dealing with situations where particularly difficult situations have come between believers. And um, we have to fight for them because we need to be faithful to, be, to, to the gospel. Relationships matter because it's a, it's a working out of the gospel. Relationships matter because these are the kind of churches that God wants us to be, churches that are marked by love, by relationships that work. So Paul sends this letter to Philemon, but to the church that met in his home, we're told in verse 2. Relationships are at the very heart of the church. And Philemon has to work out his response to Paul's plea in a very public way. In fact, one guy, Scott McKnight, as a New Testament scholar from the States, is a good guy, good writer. And he, um, he talks about how probably what would have happened was that Philemon's church, which met in his house, would have gathered... And then suddenly, they would, the guy would come in with the letter and with Onesimus and read out the letter to Philemon in front of the whole church. This is, uh, this is, this is not sort of like, uh, you know, backroom negotiation here. This is uh, full frontal exposure, if you like. This is, this is the business because this matters. How we get on with people matters, relationships count. The New Testament scholar N.T. Wright argues that partnership is the key idea in Philemon and that the prayer of verse 6 uh, is key to understanding the basis of the whole of Paul's argument. So if you want to understand it, you've got to try to get to the grips with verse 6. And he writes that the idea we need to grasp, the theme that dominates the letter is that in Christ, Christians not only belong to one another, but actually become mutually identified, truly rejoicing with the happy and genuinely weeping with the sad. Koinonia, that's the word for fellowship partnership, is part of the truth about the body of Christ. 
all are bound together in mutual bond that makes our much-prized individualism look shallow and petty. The church is about more than this. The church is about more than a great music and a good sermon and a wonderful uh, environment doing lots of lovely things. It's about relationships. It's about the fact that in Jesus Christ, we identify with one another. We are family. We belong to one another. And these things really, really count. Because the gospel not only changes our relationship to God, not only are we reconciled to our God through what the Lord Jesus Christ has accomplished on the cross, but it changes our relationship with one another. Because we are now brothers and sisters, we belong to one another in a, in a way that goes far beyond the culture of individualism that so uh, <laughs> dominates our society, dominates our culture. It's not all about me as an individual, but it's about us as a body, us as a community, witnessing to our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Relationships within the, in the church matter. Unity in the church matters. But relationships are hard. I don't know if you've ever noticed this. They're hard, aren't they? Even the best of us gets it wrong. Even the best of us falls out with other people. And in my experience, and I've been a pastor for 33 years nearly now, I've had people fall out over football. Really, honestly, football rivalry. And it wasn't even Man United and Liverpool. I've had people fall out and I'm, about the way the chairs were set up for Sunday morning. I've had people fall out, of course, over music, but not over what songs were sung, but how good the musicianship was. Someone actually suggested that I ought to suggest to someone that they get music lessons. And when I say this and we hear that, you might think, well, that's all really trivial, but let me tell you this. I've... I really mean they fell out. I mean, people refused to talk. I mean, people left the church over this. I, <laughs> over these things. How pathetic is that, really? Relationships matter, but somehow or other, we can find a thousand and one things to fall out about, can't we? We really can. So, <laughs> but of course, the presenting issue wasn't really the issue at all most of the time. A lot of it was unresolved conflict that went back years that I had no knowledge of whatsoever. Sometimes it was just naked dislike. And sometimes it was unforgiveness, just things that were never dealt with and just allowed to fester. The quality of other relationships in church are the true test of, the maturity, of our maturity as individual disciples and of the health of a church. Jesus said the world would know we were truly his disciples by the love that we have for one another. If we want to be a good advert to the world about the gospel, about the life that Jesus Christ brings, the transformation that happens in our lives, then we're going to guard our relationships. We're going to work hard to protect them. And when they go wrong, we're going to seek to put them right. Don't, hear, hear me though, it's messy. Church is a messy. Yeah, because... You know, you want people coming into church. I mean, obviously, there's even more than there was last time here. Well, last time I was here, and it was only three months ago. So you're doing well. But as new people come in, it's it messy, doesn't it? 
You know, people don't necessarily, haven't yet worked out what it means to truly follow the Lord Jesus Christ and to work these things out in relationships. So we have to bear with those things. Some of the messiest churches are in the New Testament. Think about Corinth. Paul doesn't say, hey, you're not Christians. He says, let's, let's deal with these things. Let's work these things out. Let's grow in maturity together. So therefore, it's no wonder, given that relationships matter, that the enemy focuses so much attention and fire on relationships. I mean, I just think about the situation in our church. I mean, we're at a really interesting moment in our church, but I noticed this. I noticed that some of the key people in my church have marriages under pressure. We've got families that have conflict going on in them that are quite serious. (laughs) This isn't a coincidence. This is the enemy. The enemy wants to get in and undermine relationships and it's a key area for him to do so. And he does it through the world, the flesh and the, and the devil. Well, the devil, he uses the world and the flesh. You see, the world influences all of us and uh, the world's going to seek to foist its values and its agenda on the church. And as it does so, we're going to find that there's going to be disagreements with, with, within how we deal with those things, what line we take on those things. So what are we going to do? How are we going to protect our relationships in that context? The flesh, we are sinners. And we often, this is my experience, because in these situations, I was the person that was expected to try and go and stand between the people falling out over football and chairs and music. And it wasn't an easy place to be, I have to tell you. And what I found was this, that often, more than anything, what they wanted was not someone who would mediate, but someone who would judge. Someone who would say, you're right and you're wrong. Someone who would take that position. Uh, because actually there's pride in us. We off, more often than not, we want to win an argument rather than find a peaceful way to, to move things forward within the life of the church. And how many of these, oh, none of these things are vital things, are they? They're not actually matters of truth. Believe it or not. God does not have an opinion over whether Liverpool is the better team or Man United is the better team. Clearly, Barrow are the best team. But, you know, so we need to be very discerning about the things. There are things that we need to make a stand on, but they're not as many as we think. And we need to listen and learn from one another. There are many issues that aren't issues of right or wrong. They're just matters of opinion. There might be a better way but it's not necessarily a right way and a wrong way. And the devil is going to exploit every opportunity that he gets. So we have to watch our words. We have to watch our actions. If you noticed how much the New Testament says about words, we're preaching through James at the moment and just coming to the end of it. There's a lot about words in James. We've really got to learn to guard our mouths, guard our tongues, guard what we say, and to guard our fingers now, haven't we, on Twitter or Facebook or whatever it is that we'll want to have a go at someone. The devil will exploit every opportunity. So this is why this letter is so important. It gives us a framework for thinking about how we can mend broken relationships. And so what Paul does is he makes three appeals and, he, and one application as he seeks to commend Onesimus to Philemon. Remember them? Onesimus, the slave. Philemon, the master, the owner. How how is Paul going to do this? How is he going to bring restoration to this? And it's interesting, isn't it? What he does say is, I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm not going to use the authority that I have as an apostle, the authority that I have as the person that led both of you to Christ, 
I'm not going to do that. I'm going to appeal. I'm going to make an appeal. I want you to be actively involved in making this decision to move and to choose to be reconciled to one another. So his first appeal in verse 9 is to love. It is both Philemon's love for Paul, which is there in verse 7, and also his love for Jesus to which he appeals. Paul does not want Philemon to do this out of duty. He's not saying this is the law. He's saying, because you're a person who is marked by love, I want you to seek a way to be reconciled to an SMS. The love that we are to have makes demands on us. Do we know that? Now, when we talk about love, it's not just something easy. Love makes demands on us. It's a challenging thing. And so God... But as we choose the way of love, God will work in us. He will enable us to love. You You know that. Through the Holy Spirit, God will enable us to love. As we choose, as we go that way, He will open up love in us and that we are able to express to those that we're struggling with. And through it, He's going to deepen our maturity and He's going to make us more like the Lord Jesus Christ in the process. So, appeal number one. Philemon, you're known for your love. Show love to Onesimus, okay? Second basis for Paul's appeal is on the basis of God's providence. Verses 15 and 16, he says, perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave as a dear brother. Paul tentatively, he says, perhaps. He doesn't say, yeah, this is what God's been doing. Haven't you noticed? He says, perhaps God's been working here. Perhaps God's at work in this situation. That, and despite the unsatisfactory nature of the situation and the wrongs that have been done, Paul's saying to, to Philemon, you know, God's at work here. I think God's at work here. Perhaps, can you see it? Can you recognise how God might be at work in that situation? Notice how gentle Paul is in suggesting that. He's not saying, this is the will of God and I can see it. If anyone ever says that to you, ignore them. He doesn't say that. He says, are we willing to consider that even in the pain and the sinfulness of our broken relationships, God may be shaping something in you and in Onesimus? Are we willing to recognise that? So his second appeal is basically Philemon. Think about what God has accomplished through this in you. Think about what God has accomplished in Onesimus as this situation has developed. And perhaps in your heart you can find a way to be forgive and to be reconciled. And then the third basis of his appeal is the idea of partnership, to which we've already alluded. It's there in verses 13 and verse 17. Essentially this, Paul is saying to Philemon, the gospel's changed everything, Philemon. This guy's no longer just your slave, but he's your brother. He's your brother. He's your partner in the family of God. And your attitude to him has got to reflect that and has got to be changed by that. Because the gospel changes the way we relate to one another. The gospel is more than a message about how to get saved, although thank God it is a message about how to get saved. It's a a summons to live under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. In this world, here and now, in the nitty-gritty of real-life relationships and the difficult decisions that we make, You know, that's what it is. The hardest place to work out the Lordship of Jesus Christ is in our relationships. 
The hardest place. It's the hardest place to work it out. As at the moment, my, you know, my life reflects all sorts of different relationships. I'm, both my parents are still alive. So I've got this relationship. I'm a son. How, how do I work out what it means for me to be a son, a middle-aged son of elderly parents? You know, what does it mean for me, the Lordship of Christ? What does it mean in that area of my life? I'm a, a husband. What does it mean for me to live under the Lordship of Christ as a husband? I'm a father and a father-in-law. What does it mean for me to work out the Lordship of Jesus Christ in those things? I'm a grandfather. What does it mean? Well, that's the easy one, isn't it, being a granddad? <laughs> I know what that means. Just love them. <laughs> but you see what I'm getting at here? All of our relationships. But that's, that's only... What about my friendships? What about my family in the next ring? who matter to us, who we love and pray, my, my, my sisters, my sisters-in-law, my, my nephews, my nieces. Where has all of this been worked out? And that's before I've even started pastoring a church. <laughs> what does it all mean? It's hard, isn't it? But Paul appeals to that on the basis of partnership. We're a family. You've got to treat people in that way. N.T. Wright puts it starkly. No Christian has a right to refuse a welcome to one whom God has welcomed. Faith in Christ is the basis of koinonia, fellowship. Faith must result in fellowship with faith. So Paul's saying, Philemon, Jesus has changed everything. You and Onesimus are family. He is your brother. And that's his third appeal. And then he gets onto an application. And this is the final bit, part, by the way. Paul applies the gospel to the situation in verses 17 to 19. Does it very subtly. It is as if Paul stands between Philemon and Onesimus with his arms outstretched and takes the wrongs of Onesimus upon himself. He actually says, verse 18, charge it to me. Charge what he's done to me. And then in verse 19, he says, I will pay it back. This is the gospel, isn't it? <laughs> This is what Jesus has done for us. Jesus has stood between you and God and he said, I will, take, I will pay the price. Charge it to me. That's what the gospel is. And Paul says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to see Philemon. This is what we have to do. And it's startling. Paul is using the example of Jesus as a model for his own work of reconciliation. And just as Jesus stood between us and God, so Paul presses home his appeal to Philemon by applying the gospel to their relationship and saying, Philemon, if you believe the gospel, you're going to act. If you believe what God has done for you in Christ, you're going to find a way to forgive and welcome back an SMS. And he's, Paul is playing for high stakes. The gospel will appear empty and powerless if in, the real, if in this real-life situation Philemon and Onesimus are not reconciled. That's, what, that's, what, that's the stakes that Paul's put in there. He's basically saying the gospel's powerless unless relationships get healed, unless there is reconciliation, unless we value relationships. God has given the church a lot of responsibility, guys. Our life together communicates what we believe about God and about what God has done for us. It can never just be about me and my personal walk with Jesus and I go to a church that just helps me to build on that. 
It's got to be about sharing. It's got to be about sharing our lives and, our, and building relationships that are meaningful and challenging and transformative. And when we fall out with people and do not seek to forgive and be reconciled, we're actually showing that we haven't really grasped the gospel for us. We haven't grasped how much we are loved and how undeserving we are of that love. We haven't grasped how deeply we have wronged God and how costly is our forgiveness. You know, that person, the person that we, we might struggle with, that we might struggle to forgive, is actually just like us. <laughs> Broken, fallen, hurting. But there's nothing that commends the reality and the power of the gospel more than a church that's filled with love, in which people have learned how to forgive one another. Because stuff happens, relationships break down, but grace can triumph. Forgiveness can triumph. The gospel can triumph in our lives and bring transformation to us. It's very, very likely that Philemon has a happy ending. It's very unlikely that they would have preserved this letter if they didn't know that Philemon and Onesimus were reconciled. There's also a chance that this Onesimus is the same Onesimus who became the Bishop of Ephesus in the early second century. We don't know, but we have every reason to believe that Philemon and Onesimus were indeed reconciled. And by doing so, they were bearing powerful witness to the gospel. They were making visible the grace of God. So, let me finish with this. How are you doing in your relationships? Let's just uh, stop and I'll be quiet for a moment and I'll just pray very briefly. Lord, I know with absolute certainty that there will be people here who are living through broken relationships at this very moment. And if they're not directly involved in it, Lord, there will be many others who are watching people that they love experiencing relational breakdown. And Lord, we just want to say that there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus, that this is not about guilting people into change, Lord, that this is about just recognising the grace that is available to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that we will see with fresh eyes the wonder of the reconciliation that has taken place between us and you, our Lord and God. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you stood between us. You took what we owed upon yourself and paid our debt through your death for us on the cross. And Lord, I pray for anyone who's just really hurting this morning as a result of relationships that are broken. And I pray, Lord, that they would know the strength of your grace and the encouragement of your Holy Spirit. 
And Lord, that you would just give them wisdom in order to be able to know what might be the next step, the next thing that they can do that might offer some hope and uh, peace into that relationship. Lord, I thank you for this fellowship and I thank you for the love that is already so evidently present here. And I pray that through the powerful working of your Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus, with you at the very centre, that this fellowship will grow in love and will be known as a place where, where love is the experience of all who enter. So Lord, we pray this. We pray this in the powerful, wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.